Hey, welcome to the Crosspoint Church Podcast. I'm Rob Chartrand, the lead pastor of the church. We're a church that's for the city in Edmonton, Alberta, Canada, and are passionate about helping people find their way back to God. Hey, if you're new, I'll have a bit to say at the end of the podcast, but in the meantime, let's listen to this Sunday's message. About 12, maybe 13 years ago, my, uh, my dad and my mom had sold the family farm and had decided that they would take our family to Hawaii and uh, it was my family, my brother's family and them and I remember that feeling of anticipation and excitement about this this family holiday to a place I didn't know and uh, had heard so much about and I was so excited about all the possibilities that would that would happen while we were there um, 13 years later, I feel the same way about never having to wear a mask again. I don't know about the rest of you, <laughs> but just, you know, uh, everything from, from singing and not seeing faces. And uh, I had a Zoom call with a staff person that I'd met three months ago, and I'd never seen her without a mask on. And so it was like, oh, this is what you look like. You know, there's just all these little things that uh, I'm, I'm so excited about seeing come to an end. Uh, my name is Dean. For those that don't know me, I'm with the Mustard Seed. I'm a friend of your pastoral staff, and they've uh, once again asked me to come and speak to you this morning, and I'm, I'm very happy to do that and to talk about um, friendship as it relates to David and his best friend, Jonathan. What does it mean um, to have friendship? I mean real friendship, true, deep, meaningful friendship. What does that look like? How is it obtained? I don't know how many of you watched, and I, I granted this is of a certain era, um, but some of us were just so excited about the Friends reunion that happened on TV. Uh, you know, like like for me, this was this was this was a moment. I know there's that divide between those that love Seinfeld and those that love Friends, and then there's those of us that are fully sanctified and love both. Then that would be me, and. I was just, I was pumped to watch the reunion, hoping it, it would be okay, and it was more than okay, it was, it was excellent. Um, and how many of you, again, of, of my age, or even a little bit younger, and certainly a little bit older, were taken back in time to kind of the mid to late 90s, the early 2000s, and perhaps more significantly, were heartwarmed by the actors, knowing that their relationships um, were genuine, not just on the screen, but off the screen, um, that their relationships and friendships was ongoing. Uh, how many of us watched the show uh, when either, you know, on Netflix later on in life or even when it was live back in the day when you had to, like, record it with a VHS tape and were just kind of heartwarmed by these relationships and the whole time thinking, I want that for myself. I want five people in my life that are like those six people are. I've seen this in action over the last past couple of months. I've not asked permission to tell the story, and, and I was close to asking, but I, I just didn't want to put them in a, in a spot where they'd have to make a decision. So I'm not going to get into the details, but uh, a friends, friends of ours, a very good friend of mine, um, had tragedy happen in their life a little over two months ago, and it's tragedy beyond what any uh, one should ever have to experience. And I sat with people in the midst of their pain and their sorrow. And as I did this, my friend said to me, I know how fortunate I am that I have 15 to 20 guys I can call at a moment's notice and they will drop everything to be with me. You know, many of us would be thrilled to have two or three. 
and he has 15 to 20. In the story of David and Jonathan found in 1 Samuel 20, we have an outstanding biblical example of friendship. And the scene is quite simple. David, God's anointed to replace King Saul, is about to have a conversation with Saul's son, Jonathan. Now, Jonathan and David are best friends. Saul knows that the kingdom is divided, and a large chunk of people are beginning to follow David, not him, even though Saul is king. Further, he knows that God, because this happens a few chapters earlier, has withdrawn his anointing on Saul and has decided that David will be the next king. Therefore, Saul wants to kill David. It's just as simple as that. And he's even attempted a couple times before we get to uh, 1 Samuel 20. So this is full-out Game of Thrones stuff here, minus the dragons. Jonathan, being um, Saul's son, is technically next in line for the throne. Meaning, one of David or Jonathan will be king, and the other one will be dead. That's what's going on here. There's just no other way to view it. One of Jonathan and, or David will be king, the other one will be dead, and they're best friends. It's in this scenario that a difficult, painful, yet honest conversation takes place. This is literal life and death stuff. This is Jon Snow, Daenerys, and who will bend the knee kind of stuff. And from it, we just learn some profound lessons on friendship. Before we get into it, let's pray. Um, Father in heaven, um, there's some people that are here this morning um, that are in desperate need of community. Um, it's been so broken and so weird for the last 16 months. And that feeling of isolation and loneliness has descended upon so many of us in very unique and different ways. And so I pray this morning as we learn about friendship that it would rekindle friendships in all of our lives. That we would um, not only understand the importance of it, which I think we all do, but that we would understand um, and appreciate um, what it is that we have in one another. And that we would cherish it and, and honor it. And I ask this in your name. Amen. Okay, so I want to outline four characteristics of a meaningful friendship that are found in the story and that I believe are applicable to each of us today. And these are the four characteristics. Uh, safety, reciprocity, trust, and the last one is intimacy. So in verse 1, um, the, the question comes from David, and it's a, it's a profound question. He basically says to Jonathan, uh, why does your dad want to have me whacked? Why does he want to have me killed? Why is he trying to kill me? Nothing starts or shifts a conversation quite like a good question. And in this question, what David is really doing is establishing the fact that his relationship with Jonathan is safe. It's quite the conversation started to say, why does your dad want to kill me? But that's what he does. And he's doing this because it demonstrates that there is safety that exists between Jonathan and David. David should not be feeling safe with Jonathan in this scenario. Jonathan's loyalty should have been to his dad. And if you think about it, his loyalty should have been to himself. But instead, David feels so safe with Jonathan that he is confident in putting Jonathan in between himself and his dad, his best friend and his dad. And David is basically saying to him, I'm depending upon you to choose me over your father. I'm depending upon you to choose me really over God. 
Because God has now appointed David and has anointed David. And he's saying, you know what? It is coming down to God and David versus you and your dad. Which side are you on? And Jonathan chooses David and God. The first building block of any relationship is the feeling of safety. Knowing the person will not intentionally hurt you. Knowing that they are a good person, that they have similar morals, ethics, and standards. Who in your life is safe? Who is the safe friend? Who is the friendship that you know that no matter what, they are never going to hurt you? They're never going to harm you. That their intention in the relationship is always pure of heart. When my kids were little, I could figure out that question really, really easily. It was not hard to figure out who was safe. You would just ask this one question. Would you allow them to watch your kids? And if the answer was yes, well, then they're probably pretty safe. If the answer was no, they're probably not very safe. Who in your life is safe? And are you a safe person in your relationships? We have three daughters. I think I've mentioned that before. They're now 23, 20, and 18. Um, when they were about 13, 15, and 17, it was way worse than you could possibly imagine. Uh, so there was a lot going on. And for those of you that kind of have experienced this, you know that there is no um, greater source of... Um, I don't want, I, I was almost going to use the word evil, but I don't want to use that word. It's too harsh. Um, but, you know, if you want to feel pain, hang around a grade eight girl. My theory was always that if you put an army on one side, the greatest army in the world, and then you just put grade eight girls on the other side, the grade eight girls will win. They just, they just have the right words. <laughs> you know, the whole army would be crying within five minutes as the grade eight girls said all the things that they say. And it was just like, you know, with every daughter, there was 18 months there, kind of end of grade seven, beginning of grade nine, where she's like, just get through, just get through, just get through. Give each of our daughters somebody that is safe, that won't say the hurtful things, that won't leave them out. You know, and the list goes on and on and on. Who in your life is safe? And are you a safe person? The next thing is reciprocity. Um, verses 4 through 40, we have a 36 outline of a verse outline of a plan um, to determine that what David believes is true is true. Um, basically, the plan involves the new moon festival and arrows. And, you know, it's kind of weird to think that a new moon festival and arrows would have anything to do with friendship, but it's actually got a lot to do with friendship. And the plan, is, the plan is quite simple. Shoot some arrows, and if it goes a certain place, and you, know, you yell a certain thing at your squire, I know then that your dad you, you, doesn't want to kill me, but if this happens, um, I'll know that you know that your dad does want to kill me, and that's kind of the, the signal of, of what is to occur. And so they come up with this plan to confirm David's question of why does your dad want to have me killed? Once you've determined that someone is safe in life, the next stage is to discover if there's reciprocity or things in common. And the plan that is executed by David and Jonathan demonstrate that they had stuff in common. So even though this plan is a plan to confirm whether 
Saul wants to have David killed or not, it actually demonstrates how much they have the common and how much they would have done together. First of all, I mean, this plan is happening over the New Moon Festival, which David was supposed to attend, but decides it dibs out on, because he says, if I go, your dad will have me killed. Meaning, they partied together. They had fun together. They enjoyed going to these things together. And whatever that thing looked like, whatever a party looked like, you know, thousands upon thousands of years ago, that's what they did together. The second thing is the archery. And they both clearly um, did this together. They shot arrows, they were into archery, they did that together. Meaning, we know for sure they had at least two things in common. And then there's a third thing that they have in common, which is the relationship with God. They clearly both had a close relationship with God, which led to the close relationship that they had with one another. In other words, we know for sure that David and Jonathan had three things they liked to do together. They liked to go to festivals together, they liked to do archery together, and they liked to talk about their relationship with God together. Most people are safe. Most people are safe. But when a friendship starts to move in a direction, it is when you discover that you have things in common. Now, I don't know about you, but I have sat with people that I have zero in common with. And the older I get, the worse I am at small talk. I just, I'm just not so good at it anymore. When I was younger, I could, you know, sort of talk about whatever. I, I, I just have trouble doing that. And I find that um, very quickly, I discover whether I have something in common with somebody. And when I do, we begin to talk about those things, and maybe we can start to plan the things that we will do together. So if somebody wants to talk about faith, about sports, if somebody wants to talk about suffering for Jesus by being an Oilers fan, if someone wants to talk about leadership or politics or no judging Star Wars or talk about cooking, I am all there. If somebody says, you know what, you want to go golfing with me? Yes, I want to go golfing with you because we have that in common. We all need people in our life to do stuff with and to talk about things with. We need people in our life that are, to be blank or blunt, a good time. Last night, we saw friends that we haven't seen in a year. Went to a patio together. Uh, weirdest thing ever, because these restaurants are trying to extend their patios. We were literally sitting in the parking lot. But they had a little fence around it, so it was classified as a patio. And they're people that we have been friends with for over 20 years. There's just, there's just so much in common. There's so much reciprocity at this point, after 20-plus years. When we left an hour and 40 minutes later, I, I felt like 20 minutes because there's just so much in common. Here is what is interesting. Most friendships end here. Like the vast majority of friendships end here. I've had some good friends that I've worked with and when we stop being colleagues, we stop talking. And the reason why is simply because the relationship ended at reciprocity and we had work in common. And when that common element of work was taken away, there just wasn't a lot there. It's not like anybody's offended or upset. It's just that what was in common is no longer in common. The covenantal friendship that we are striving for has two additional attributes. Now, not every friendship gets here. And further, I don't think most even can. But this is what we're to pursue with the right people. This is the kind of friendship that transforms. This is the kind of thing that moves you from having a good time on a Friday night to having somebody to depend upon every day of the week. And when you have it, you know you have it. And when you have it, you know that there's nothing quite like it. 
And it's what Jonathan and David had. And what they had beyond the things in common and beyond the fact that they were safe with one another is that they had trust. Um, Verses 2 and 3 of um, 1 Samuel 20 reads this. My father uh, can't be trying to kill you. This is Jonathan talking. He never does anything without telling me about it. Why would he hide this from me? It can't be true. Jonathan, I swear it's true. But your father knows how much you like me, and he didn't want to break your heart. That's why I didn't tell you. I swear by the living God and by your own life that I'm only one step ahead of death. That is trusting your friend with something, isn't it? That is trusting your friend. This relationship is beyond the norm. David completely trusts Jonathan. Jonathan could have just as easily have sewered the plan, told his dad what was up, and had David killed. But Jonathan has the back of his friend. That is trust. Who do you have in your life that you truly trust? I mean, not just with the light, that's easy, but who do you trust with your darkness? With your pain? With your struggle? And then, conversely, who do you trust with your accomplishments? It seems weird to say, but who can you brag to and it be okay? I have a few friends that I can truly trust. Um, The one friend hasn't had an easy few years. In fact, he's had a very, very difficult few years, and it's all been health-related. He's not not married, uh, never been married, doesn't have kids. And so there's about two, maybe three of us that he needs to talk to about all of his health things. I'll be honest with you, some of his health things aren't things that I wanted to necessarily know about, Uh, but he has no one else to tell. So he tells us. And at times he literally starts with, I'm sorry, that I'm about to describe what's going on to you, um, but I got no one else to tell, so here it comes. And then he's telling me things again that are sort of, you know, surprising and like, really, that they did that to you, eh? Or that's going on. Um, and then afterwards, um, you know, he apologizes again because he's like, I know you wanted to hear none of that, but I need somebody to tell. Conversely, I'm able to talk to him and I mean this just like as blunt as I can say it, with no humility at all. If something's good in my life, I can just say to him, this is what's good. And I don't feel like I'm bragging. I don't feel like I'm being arrogant. He just wants to know. When I've gone through difficult times, I can tell him everything. When his life is good, He can brag about that to me. And I don't take it as ego. I take it as him just wanting to share. We trust each other. Being in a trusting relationship means there is no such thing as a flex. And there's no judgment when things go sideways. And that what is said between the two of you isn't shared with anybody else. Who do you trust? I mean, who do you truly trust? And are you a trustworthy person? When somebody tells you something, is it in the vault? Or is it shared? When somebody tells you something hard that they're going through, are you empathetic? Or are you coming at them with solutions and judgment? To truly trust somebody 
is to expose your darkness, not just your light. Which leads to a sense of vulnerability that we find in verses 41 and 42. The end of this chapter has these best friends saying goodbye to one another. A few chapters later, Jonathan actually dies in battle alongside his dad, Saul, and David becomes king. In saying goodbye, they express their love for one another, their respect. The word intimacy has become so, so closely associated with sexual activity that there is, um, that is in danger, in my opinion, of losing its meaning in a platonic friendship sense. It really means, the word intimacy, being fully known and fully knowing the other person. A substitute word, because it's easier for people to swallow, is vulnerability. And it's in their ability to express feelings that David and Jonathan show that they had a vulnerable relationship. About a month after my mom died, I saw my dad in Calgary. And uh, my dad lives in Medicine Hat. I live in Edmonton, but we were in Calgary. He had to be there for some reason, and I was there for work. And um, my dad is um, kind of, you know, typical Stoic German. Uh, you know, like there's just not, there's not a lot of emotion. Uh, you know, we, as I often say, us Germans, we, we don't hug, we march. Uh, like there's just things that we, that are part of our makeup and DNA. And he's got lots of that. So it's a month after my mom died. We have supper in Calgary. We're both still feeling very raw. And... Um, I changed about five years ago in how I would interact with my dad. Um, so this is even prior to my mom passing away. And that I, I started to hug him every time I saw him. And I started to tell him I loved him every time I saw him. And I realized that that may seem normal for you. But in our family, that was uh, not something we did a lot. My mom would hug, um, but my dad didn't. And um, words of affirmation or affection like that were rare. Um, and so I, I hugged him this time. And I told him I loved him, which, again, it wasn't uncommon. But then I said to him, Dad, I'm proud of you for how well you cared for mom and her sickness. And he started to weep. And I started to weep. That was intimacy. Um, that's the intimacy of relationship that we desire in friendship. We desire with our family. We desire with our parents and with our kids. Sitting with someone, hearing their pain, being invited into a private moment to pray for something deep and to be asked to pray for something deep in someone's life. It's more than hanging out. It's communion. It is a covenantal relationship that David and Jonathan had. Yes, it was friendship, but more significantly, it was a willingness to be vulnerable. I want to go back to the opening story. My buddy, and uh, he would be offended if he knew that I called him my buddy. He, um, he refers to us as, as brothers. And so my brother, again, has about 15 to 20 people he could call that would sit with him in the darkest moments that I have ever sat in in my life. I think our mind goes to who would sit with me. But what I want you to consider is not just who would be willing to walk beside you, 
but who would even call you in the midst of their pain? Like Jonathan, are you the type of friend that is safe, trustworthy, and that others feel comfortable being vulnerable with? One day early into my friend's tragedy, uh, he texted me asking me to come into his house. It had been about day three or four. And I left work early to do so. So as I was running out the office, I told my colleague um, where I was going. She knew what was up. I just said, I got to leave early. My friend wants me to come over. And she said, when you go there, are you wearing your pastor hat or your friend hat? And my response was, I'm hoping to wear the don't say anything stupid hat. Because that was my greatest fear. Could I sit in silence? Could I allow him to be vulnerable without me inserting myself into that vulnerability? I witnessed people come around him, his wife, and their sons. And one day we were talking about the whole matter of who is around and is it too much because honestly it was hundreds of people popping by every day for about a week, a week and a half. It's not an exaggeration. And it was a lot. And his response was, we have a large tribe, but we have our clan. And he said, the tribe will start to wither away and not come around soon enough. He says, but those in my clan, he said, and Dean, you're in it. He says, I need you to keep being around for a long while, maybe a year or more. Because this pain I'm going through isn't going to go away anytime soon. And it is on that that I will end. With whom do you have a covenantal friendship? Who is safe? Who do you have vulnerable? Who do you have things in common with? Who do you trust? And who can you be vulnerable with? Who do you know that you can count on? And who's counting on you? We all have a large tribe. But I ask you, who's in your clan? Let's pray. Um, Father in heaven, um, there's some people here today that um, are lonely. They may have people in their life that um, they're friends with, um, but trust, vulnerability doesn't exist. I pray that someone would arrive, someone's would arrive. And they're probably entering their life, but I pray that through the power of your spirit that you would identify them. I pray for those of us that are having to be friends with somebody, not having to, but get to be friends with somebody who's going through something difficult. May we be safe. May we be trustworthy. May we be comfortable with their vulnerabilities. And may we say words that bring intimacy and affirmation into their life so that they know how much they are loved. And for any youth and young people that are listening to this, Father, um, friendship matters so much at a certain age. And friends can hurt us deeper than even our parents can or our siblings can. I pray that we as adults and we as parents would pursue our kids in ways that they just respond so that they know that they are loved no matter if a friend hurts them. 
And I pray that they would be able to see that the the pain of a friend is short-lived, but the everlasting love of you, Jesus, is forever. I'm just going to give you a couple minutes in silent prayer. Some of you are, are needing communion, needing community. And I'd give you the opportunity to pray that God would bring that to your life. Well, thanks for listening to our podcast. We hope it's helped you in your spiritual journey and it's helped you draw closer to God. Let me tell you a little bit about us. Crosspoint gathers as one church on Sundays in Northeast Edmonton. And you can find out our location and more about us by visiting our website, thecrosspointchurch.ca. We also meet throughout the week throughout Edmonton in what we call home groups. These are smaller communities of learning, laughter, community, uh, transformation. We, we think that the journey of faith was never intended to be an independent exercise. It's, it's something that we do together. So please visit our website and find out how you can get connected to a home group near you. If you listen to our podcast regularly, why not make it shareable? You could like us on iTunes or share our podcast with other people. But more importantly, we hope you will get connected with other people and talk about what you've learned. Again, hey, thanks for listening. We pray you'll experience Christ's love in a very real and profound way this week.